Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy, Alex Pruitt. Alex, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. I, uh... We're recording this on a Monday afternoon, and the only reason I say that is because I think we might be running this on Wednesday, so hopefully uh, nothing too crazy happens in the meantime, but I don't think it will. I think we're going to talk more like theoretical stuff and philosophical stuff and stuff you've written about as opposed to actual like analysis that pertains to the games that are going on tonight or tomorrow. Not only is it Monday, Dimitri, it's Chris Johnston's birthday. It is. Did you see the uh, picture I posted of the two of us hanging out in Toronto? Yeah, I like his beard. I know it's a lot better than mine, actually. I uh, <laughs> I I used to have a, a good one, I think, in my humble opinion, but I uh, I got rid of it this summer. So now he's uh, he's the prominent hockey analyst in the uh, in the beard department. Yeah, we just tricked your listeners. We're actually not talking about hockey at all. We're just going to talk about <laughs> Chris Johnson's facial hair for an hour and a half. So sorry. Yeah, well, there's a lot to talk there. It's a it's a pretty big subject. Um, so. What's up with you these days, man? You have have you uh, have you recovered since? I mean, you spent a lot of time in Nashville in May and June, and I feel like that must have uh, taken something out of you. Have you recovered over the summer? <laughs> yeah, decently. I mean, I was I was kind of working crazy hours because just for purposes of magazine deadlines, so mm. I didn't actually have a chance to go out much in Nashville. Um, I, I don't think I slept the night after Pittsburgh won. I think I filed at like I don't know seven thirty a.m. local time or something like that, and fell asleep for a couple hours. But I did not get to enjoy it as much. So the recovery process. Probably didn't take as long. Um, just been, yeah, hopping around, hopping around the league, trying to see as many teams as I can. Uh, the, the caps are away most of the month, so hmm. it's been a little difficult to get to games in person, but eh, what are you going to do? Um, so I'm not exactly sure what your you know off-season summer schedule was like, but I'm assuming you had a little bit of a vacation, took some time off after the season ended. Like, is it... What's it like getting back into the rhythm of things when the season starts? Is there? A, do you have like a little bit of a writer's block or a sort of rust that you got to work off, or have you been doing this oh, long totally. enough now that uh, you're good to go? No, oh, I suck at the beginning, <laughs> um, and I get like slightly less worse as the season goes on. But uh, yeah, there's definitely some some rust to knock off, and and both you know I'm I'm still relatively new to the game, um, you know, watching on a daily basis. So there's definitely some kind of like eye stuff to watch to knock off i guess if that makes sense Mm. um just getting back into the flow of the game and seeing you know refreshing your mind on certain players uh because you know some of that institutional knowledge hasn't been 
totally drilled in yet. But uh, yeah, vacation, you know, made it out your way in the Northwest. Uh, spent a week and a half in Alaska just camping with my mom. Wow, nice. Which was qu- quite a time. Mm. Uh, but then also, you know, working on some, some non-hockey stuff too. And, and that's the cool thing about working um, at SI is uh, you get the freedom to explore. And, you know, I can do a story about uh, a generation of kids who are named after Shaquille O'Neal or dig into some other things and working on a, like an esports story now too. So hmm. uh, expand a little bit. But yeah, once hockey season rolls around, um, it's pretty much full in, you know, do the media tour, try to get to as many camps as you can, try to uh, bank as much reporting as you can during training camp. Because obviously once things get going and once the grind starts, it's it's pretty hard to track guys down. Well, let's talk about that grind a little bit. Um, so you've, I feel like, been covering uh, the Vegas Golden Knights more than anyone really has nationally at least um so you've gotten to spend some time there and and see what's going on for yourself i I feel like this would be a a good time for us to chat about them a little bit because i feel like uh you know we're only what 10 days to two weeks into the season here but they've they've you know not surprisingly but they've been the uh one of the most interesting stories uh so far in the league i think Uh, obviously jumping off to this four and one record so far but also just you know the, I feel like the in-game experience there has been everything you would have thought it'd be in <laughs> Vegas, so that's been pretty cool to see. What do you, th- what do you think their mascot? I think all mascots generally are pretty creepy, um, yeah, especially yeah, the especially sure. the Edmonton one, which I still have nightmares about. But I think oh, all of them I haven't are seen just, the Edmonton one. What's the Edmonton one? It's like the it's the one from it's the old one. It's like the uh, I don't know what it is. It looks like some sort of like a big cat or like a it's not a bear. I don't know what it is. It looks like some sort of feline. I don't know. It's creepy. Oh. <laughs> Creepier than a Gila monster? I think oh, so. Oh man, I just looked it up. That is that is like an old timey kids <laughs> I know. show. It's nightmare like, fuel. Villain cat, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Like, what have you been your takeaways so far from uh, from what you've seen from Vegas, and has have things gone the way you've expected? I mean, obviously, with the tragedy that happened just before the season, um, it threw things for a loop. I imagine with the. Uh, you know, for the ceremony before the season started. But other than that, I mean, uh, it's been pretty smooth sailing for them so far, at least on the ice. Yeah, and and that's the the rub, right? Is yeah. a lot of it is informed by what happened before the season, um, or kind of maybe altering our view of how we look at look at the season, or look at very least look at the team in the context of their new city. Mm. Um, you know, without giving away too much, we had a you know big feature we wanted to do uh, for the preseason issue on Vegas and. Um, you know, you can't really do something about, you know, just the entertainment and the happy fun side of that city right. uh, in light of what happened. So uh, maybe look for that down the road. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone would have necessarily predicted that they're, you know, the first team in the expansion era to win four of their first five games. Um, granted, two of those were against Arizona and one was against Boston on a back to back. Right. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think it's it's gotten um, clearly gotten the franchise off to a positive start. Clearly gotten uh, the city off to a kind of a positive rebound in that regard. At least the the very small way that a, a professional sports team can in the wake of a tragedy like that. Um, you know, mostly from my standpoint, what's been interesting is is just digging into the process of it all, right? And and you kind of alluded to that. You know, we were did some behind the scenes stuff uh, around the name unveiling, did a little bit more, uh, I think around March, and then you know now with the expansion draft, um, just you know asking around and and talking to folks like Bill Foley and George McPhee, and then now down to uh, Gerard Gallant and the players because. Um, I wrote about this when I was out there. It's it's the first of everything, right? It's the first sixth game they're going to play soon. It's, right. uh, you know, the, they're going to they haven't you know had an overtime loss yet. You know, that'll be the first. It'll be the first whatever. Yep. Um, and, and I think everyone there has a pretty acute sense of of history. Um, you know, one of my favorite things was after right after the expansion draft ends. 
right after they email the picks in. Um, a couple of the folks are staying. I think George McPhee was there, Kelly McCrimmon that was there. Um, I think Tom Parashka, the, the general manager mm-hmm. guy, he was there as well. Um, and they're just kind of sitting around the expansion room, and someone has the idea, like, we, we need to record this. Um, so they flip on a camera. I think it was maybe an iPhone camera or something, and George and Kelly just kind of start talking, and they, they wind up sitting there for like an hour and a half, and they're just kind of recreating everything that went on, um, almost as this, like, historical document in a way, because they knew that, you know, down the line, people might want to look back and, and – kind of relive those moments um and it was still fresh right like all the all the names were still on the the grease boards and all the computer screens were still uh still there all the projector screens were still pulled down um and to just you know just to have the presence of mind to think and like kind of pause and, and say you know what we did here has never been done before especially in this city um and to to want to capture that i think was was pretty pretty cool yeah i mean i was going back through your archives of things you've written and um you know, you had a piece that was, I think it was titled like, uh, you know, inside the room or whatever for, for the process for the draft. And <laughs> I wasn't there full disclosure. That, right. was, uh, that shouldn't have been the headline. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have, trust me, I have a lot of experience with, uh, people giving, giving me crap for headlines for stories I've written, even though that's, we're not responsible for those headlines. Um, but y- y- listen, um, so the, the, the main takeaway I had was there was a line that stuck out to me. It was about how, um, you know, George McPhee had been hired pretty much a year before the actual expansion draft, and they'd been ironing everything out and preparing during that entire time. And I don't know, it it, it seems weird to say, but based on that, I feel like, you know, things obviously happen and, and there were cur- certain curveballs thrown their way, but it seems like some of, like some of the ways they've handled some of this stuff with all the defensemen, the glut of defensemen they have now and having to keep yeah. patch up in the, in the AHL and, and how Shea Theodore for a while, like beyond what they should actually be doing. Like, it seems like given how much time they had to prepare, it seems like there's been some mishandling of certain, um, you know, player personnel decisions that probably shouldn't have happened if they've actually devoted that much time and effort to it this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure why it shook out the way they did. Um, Part of me thinks that they feel like they did a really good job, and and they, we they don't see the same criticisms mm. um, that we might see, right? Like right. They, they went through it and, and figured, yeah, we you know we got our guys. We maybe the market for defensemen has dried up a little bit faster than they expected, but maybe the plan was. I don't know this for sure, but maybe the plan was to to load up on that, um, and clearly it was right because that's how they ended up with a lot of those players. Mm-hmm. Um, talking with George, I, I think he he froze the market in a way that he wanted to. Um, during that exclusive negotiation window that they had where, where they could talk to other teams, but teams couldn't talk to each other. And, um, you know, everyone wanted to picture him as uh, the godfather, right? Like, you know, has 30, <laughs> like, horse heads postmarked for fellow GMs. And, <laughs> right. Uh, he's sending him out and saying, like, you better not negotiate with anyone else unless you negotiate with us. Um, but I think, like you said, the product of that, uh, there are some reasonable criticisms to be made, not the least of which are, uh, the situation that they're the defensemen are in right now. Yes. Um, I mean, a lot of guys who are who are on expiring deals, but uh, you know how many of how many of those people do other teams want? Right. Um, I don't know. What would you take from that list? Lucas Visa probably. I mean, there's Stoner, oh, McNabb, Engelin, Garrison. Uh, not really sure why they they walked Nate Schmidt to, Arb- to UFA in two years by mm. giving him a two year in arbitration um, or taking him to arbitration to begin with. But yeah, so I did a I did a Reddit AMA a f- 
last week. And one of the questions I got was, you know, what do you think of the job George McPhee did with his expansion draft and what would you have done differently? And the thing I keep circling back to is I just think they, like, I'm all for the idea that they had of, you know, taking things slow and accumulating these assets they can potentially trade down the line and, you know, do this the right way by acquiring draft picks and prospects and building slowly as opposed to going all in for, you know, a short-term gain, but suffering for it down the line. But I just think they, maybe misevaluated or misjudged the market a little bit for these defensemen. Cause like the best example for me is, you know, they got like a future third round pick or something for Alexei Emelin and mm-hmm. they would have just been better off taking a Charles Houdon or, or a guy who actually is like a, a known prospect right now that potentially has greater upside than these wild unknowns. And I assume when they, took a guy like Alexi Emelin or even, you know, the guys you mentioned, like Lucas Pisa and so on and so forth, they probably thought that, listen, defensemen are hot commodities in this league and these guys are going to fetch a nice return for us. And the problem with that is that teams just aren't really interested in those guys. So now they're just kind of stuck with this glut and don't really have any means for actually kind of unclogging that unless someone's going to get desperate with it when injuries happen and take them off of their hands. Yeah. And even say you, let's say they hit on that pick they got from Nashville in 2019 in the third round. When is that, when is that person ready? Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of their futures are are 2019, 2020. So they, they've done, they have done a good job accumulating. I think they have what's seven second round picks over the next three years or something. They've done a good job accumulating assets, but I agree with you that there, there's for sure certain situations, um, you know, that being one of them, uh, where you look at their pick and you say, you know, would they have been better off taking, you know, a prospect and just kind of seeing what this guy has and, and maybe trying to accelerate uh, their growth a little bit as an organization? Um, you know, I do think they did a good job with guys like Smith and and March or so. I think mm-hmm. they, you know, probably you can probably make an argument that they fleece Florida for those guys. Yep. Um, Nate Schmidt was absolutely the right pick from Washington. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and, Washington you know, could really use Schmidt right now. Boy, they sure could. My goodness. I mean, you look at what their what their lineup was in the playoffs, not to digress too much, but uh, what their six was in the playoffs, and sometimes that Nate wasn't even skating for them. Um, and then what it is now with this this injury they have in Niskan, I don't know how bad it is. Um, yeah, they for sure could use him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, there have been some hits here and there. I, mean, I thought Shibachov was a was a very savvy signing. And then, you know, they, they can't play him for a couple games because they do have this glut of defensemen that they haven't been able to get rid of. And, um even if they can, I, I'm not, not sure what the market for you know defensemen in their 30s, for instance, on expiring deals are. Right? It's it's over the past couple of years, it's really been you know maybe like a third round pick or something, maybe a second. Yep. Uh, if you get lucky with the right team, it's desperate. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, they probably are banking on injuries happening in the attrition of the regular season, and hopefully by the time the trade deadline rolls around, some of those guys are going to be hot commodities. But uh, time will tell. I mean, I, I know that there's a certain segment of uh, the PDOcast fan base right now that's sitting at home and being like, you know, you guys are talking up Vegas for being four and one, but they've been super lucky so far, and they should probably be one and four or something like that. So you know, we should point out that uh, they have, you know, I think they have the sixth highest PDO right now, and there's a big disparity between their actual. Uh, goal results and their expected ones and i think that oh huge this is a a good story so far but i still think uh as the year goes along here things are going to play out the way we expected before the season yeah look i mean let's enjoy this while we can let's enjoy the new the flash and the drum line and the castle that they have yes let's enjoy james neal starting out the season on fire and and hopefully let's enjoy mark andre Fleury if he gets healthy big bummer for him mm. to suffer another, another concussion, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, let's let's enjoy seeing young talents like Brandon Leipzig, um, Brandon Leipzig doing what he can do, or March or so, or people like that. But at the same time, yeah, uh, you know, they're they're bottom ten team in possession right now. Um, 
I think, or you know, ten, eleven, twelve, something thereabouts. Yeah. Um, it's going to regress. Yeah. No, they've actually they've actually been better than I would have expected in terms of shot attempts. I think they're middle of the pack, just under the fifty percent mark. But uh, it's gonna it's gonna come down based on all the other indicators. Um, you know what I'm curious about? You know, you you mentioned Flurry there and the injury he suffered. Have you? had a chance to do like some sort of a profile on um, head injuries from any angle yet? No, it's something we've been kind of monitoring because a lot of the concussion lawsuit stuff is still in the procedural phase. They're still trying to figure out, um, you know, whether it can be a class action suit and mm-hmm. therefore extend to all NHL players who want to get in on it, not just the ones who were named in the suit originally. Um, but yeah, it's serious business, right? I don't think, I don't think that was handled in the best way, clearly, right? It's, you listen to some of the quotes from his teammates saying that I think Perron was the one who said that, you know, he looked at Fleury and he just wasn't himself. Um, and I've talked to Mark Andre about uh, the concussion he suffered in, what was it, 15, 16. Um, essentially, that was the start of everything when it comes to him and Murray there. Um, when uh, he just wasn't the same, he had a couple head injuries that season. Um, and then to see it happen again and, and, you know, for him to stay in the game like that and, and keep playing and, uh, if his teammates notice that something's wrong, how can a concussion spot or not? Yeah, that's the, that's the worrisome stuff about uh, these instances where, like, it's going to happen, right? I mean, it's a violent sport, and you're going to have collisions, and players are going to get unfortunately hurt, and that's just the reality of the business. But it, it's it's the handling where it's pretty clear when he, someone takes a shot like that, like, it's just negligent to keep them in the game because we know that, like, the symptoms aren't going to manifest themselves immediately. Sometimes it takes a couple hours or even a couple days, and you have to really be careful with this stuff based on what's on the line. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the camp of safer than sorry. Yank the guy out if, it's, if the symptoms are there. But like you said, symptoms often don't manifest for a little while. So that's why all this stuff is tricky. That's why it's, it's hard to, to research. It's hard to, at least from my angle, because the research, the science is still, it's still being – uh, still being finalized, but I don't know if that's the best word for it. But I mean, clearly there's an established link, right, between head injuries and CTE. It, the the good work of the folks at BU have established that. Yep. Um, but you know, the direct causes, the correlations, uh, there's a lot out there. I think that uh, people are still trying to sort through, and especially when it's in the moment like that, and that's that's a difficult part. But my opinion is that yeah, you just just yank the guy out, give him an evaluation. Um, I know it stinks. I know these guys are competitors and they're going to scrap for every ounce of their body to, to play some more. Um, but man, that's some scary, scary stuff. I've had, I've had a couple concussions myself playing basketball in high school. Um, and it's, it's no joke. Yeah, no, it's very serious business. Um, all right, let's, let's shift gears a little bit to Blackhawks here because I know you, uh, you wrote about them recently. Um, particularly with regards to guys like Patrick Sharp and Brandon Saad being back and, and the Blackhawks in, in general, just, you know, being a bit of an aberration for the rest of the league in terms of how willing and able they are to bring back some of these guys. And one of yeah. the quotes that really stuck out to me from Stan Bowman in your piece there was, you know, he, he made note of the fact that the reason why this happens is like, these are guys that they generally didn't even want to get rid of, but they just basically had to because of financial reasons. And so when they get an opportunity to bring them back down the road, if things open up, uh, they're willing to do so. And I think it's just a fascinating way of operating and doing business. It's different than how most other teams do. Yeah. And, and, you know, for guys like Patrick Sharp and Brian Campbell, for instance, who were the, the prime examples lately of people who came back and took pennies on the dollar in order to do so, it's it's just it's a tug of home. Right. I mean, it's these guys won there. They built their families there. They're nearing the end of their careers. In Sharp's case, you know, he wasn't even sure if he was going to play this year, if he's going to be able to play again after his hip surgery. Um, so when a familiar team like that comes along and offers you some comfortability, I think 
that's that's a big boost for those guys. And then on the flip side of that is people like Saad, who they actively seek out and flip assets for and, and reacquire. Um, and at least in his case, it, it seems to me, at least talking to Stan, that, I mean, this was a move designed to get Taves going again. Um, and unfortunately, it came at the cost of taking a guy who was extremely fun to watch with Patrick Kane and extremely productive with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but my guess is they are banking that Patrick Kane can make pretty well anyone around him better. Yes. Um, that as the driver of that line, it doesn't really matter to a certain degree who you have next to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, there there's something there with Taves and Saad. Um, there's even something there with Taves and Sharp, going back to when they played together uh, yep. for stretches. So uh, there's a history there, and, and it's a lot of it's you know comfort in what you know and comfort in what you won with. Now, obviously, the, a lot of the pieces around them, the supporting cast has changed. Um, but I, I do think that there was some pull there that they knew what they had in Brandon Saad, and they wanted to bring him back to address a need that they felt they had. Yeah, the fit with Saad and Taves is fascinating to me because you know there was a lot of talk the past few years about Taves slowing down and his production dipping, and if you look at the situation he was in and who he was playing with, um, I think it's an awfully interesting coincidence that those two down years offensively were the ones that Saad was in Columbus, and uh, you know now the two of them have looked great. I think the combination of them and uh, and my boy Dick Panic um, have <laughs> have really been have really been impressive at five on five when you adjust it because you know they play in a bunch of these blowouts and sometimes the raw numbers get skewed a little bit. But when the game's been in question, uh, they've just really dominated the puck and, and the scoring chances and the goals. And that's a huge development for, for the Blackhawks because while losing a guy like Panarin is a big loss based on how good him and Kane look together and the dynamic skill he has, um, you're right. I think Kane is at this point of his career is more likely to be able to carry a line himself. And now if the Blackhawks are able to be a bit deeper and a bit more, uh, you know, puck dominant at five on five, that's something they've really lacked the past few years with these first round exits. So I think we might need to, you know, recalibrate our expectations for for them and what their upside is if these two lines actually can keep it going this season. Yeah. I mean, you can go back to last season. I mean, Taze had, I think it was 36 points over his final 33 games mm-hmm. once he finally settled down with, uh, with I think it was Schmaltz and Panic. Yep. Um, and yeah, continuing, continuing in this year, I think it's it's probably beneficial for a guy like that to play with people for uh, an extended period of time. You know, he's not necessarily the game breaker that Patrick Kane is, um, where you can go out and just you know play with whoever and play with us, and he would score four points maybe. Um, but I, I do think that they there was more of an emphasis, yeah, on putting – uh, some familiar faces next to Taves, and it's certainly paid off. And again, not to give away the farm, but I was out there doing something on Jonathan, and um, hopefully that'll be coming down soon. Um, just kind of looking at where he's at. But uh, yeah, no, um, I think Chicago, they were a little bit uh, maybe of an aberration last year uh, in the way they got swept. And things were, were clearly trending downwards um, for them, leading to that, culminating in that sweep against Nashville. Hmm. Um, but, you know, if, if they have guys like to bring it, stepping up if they have you know a schmaltz by all accounts looks like he's a very useful middle six piece um you know if patrick sharp can can find the fountain of youth uh and you know obviously they need some d to step up but i don't think it's unreasonable that you know in a west where we're not really sure what's going to happen this year that they could maybe in the same way that washington might slip under the radar a little bit more than they have in years past do the same out west yeah no definitely i mean there's a lot of good teams but there isn't anyone that has a stranglehold there so it's it's pretty wide open i do one thing i do want to say is watching some of these blackhawks games this year the commentators keep sort of beating this drum of how stan bowman made a point of getting you know tougher and more physical this summer because the 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 predators bullied them in their playoff in the playoff series last year and i don't know what i understand it's a it's a neat narrative i don't know which series um people were watching because what i saw was the predators were just significantly faster and more talented than them and just basically ran them off the ice and 
that's, I think, uh, a bigger concern. And, you know, I guess Saad does play more of a sort of, uh, you know, defensively responsible, grittier game that might translate uh, to the playoffs in that regard. But he's also a, a super talented, gifted player himself. So it's not like, you know, they brought in uh, Matt Martin here. I think there's a... Uh, I think people are overstating what the Blackhawks did this summer and, and the sort of the, the shift in, in philosophy because that's not really what happened. Yeah, if we're saying that the main reason Brandon Saad's on the roster is toughness, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, he's a piece of five-on-five possession monster and has been. Um, I mean, what even was on some pretty bad Columbus teams there for a stretch. Mm. Yeah, no, he's uh, and he's he's a great player. I mean, and and now they're actually using him on the power play quite a bit too, which he hasn't really had the benefit of throughout his career. So if that keeps up, he should have a, a career season. So I'm all for that because I'm a big Brandon Saad believer. Um, Alex, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and pay some bills, and we'll pick up the discussion back on the other side of things. Before we get back to Alex Pruitt regaling us with his stories from his travels around the league, uh, let's talk a little bit about SeaGeek. SeatGeek's been good to both myself and the PDO cast. Uh, they've been with us, helping support the show since the beginning. And if you allow them, they'll be good to you too, because they're on a mission to make finding and purchasing tickets to sporting events and concerts easier than ever before. Instead of having to take time out of your own busy schedule to scour the internet in the hopes of saving a couple bucks by buying tickets off some shady site that offers no assurances, SeatGeek takes matters into their own hands by doing all that groundwork for you and guaranteeing that what you're paying for is what you're actually getting. Uh, the last time I talked about how I'll be in Montreal in early November and I'm strongly considering going to check out a Canadians game at the Bell Centre for the first time ever as a fan. And that's something i am still got on my agenda, but something else that I want to do more and more with each passing day is make a trip down to Vegas and soak up a Golden Knights home, Golden Knights home game or two at the T-Mobile Arena. I'm sure the novelty of it is gonna eventually going to wear off, but for now, it looks like they're really hitting all the right notes and pulling all the strings with the in-game experiences at those games. Um... You know, just watching it on NHL TV, it looks like quite a spectacle with uh, the slot machine sound every time they score a goal and playing Viva Las Vegas when they win. And, you know, it looks very exciting watching these games on my laptop, wishing I was there. So why not actually just go and experience it for myself? Um, so the other day I looked up the tickets on SeatGeek and, you know, just wanted to get a gauge of what they're going for and what the what the price tag is. And it's actually not that bad at all. So I think uh, I'm going to try and make that trip eventually here down the line and, uh I'm sure you'll be hearing all more about a lot more about my adventures as they as they come. Uh, but that's just me. You might not be down for a Vegas trip yourself at this moment, but you might instead just want to go check out a game in whichever city you're living in instead, and that's cool too. And if you decide to do so, SeatGeek can hook you up with twenty dollars off your first purchase of tickets because you're a loyal PDOcast listener and an upstanding citizen. To claim your award, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and check out, and you're good to go. That's promo code PDO for twenty dollars off. Now let's see what else Alex Brewer has to say. Okay. Um, let's talk a bit about Steven Stamkos. Um, that was a great, great job reading that ad, man. Yeah. Great, great work. <laughs> love, um, love that. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, so you wrote about Stamkos a while ago. I think it was, you know, when he was making his return back before the start of last season. Um, and obviously now he's making his way back from another injury. And I think, Unfortunately, this is becoming a bit of a, a trend. Uh, you know, it, it's it's obviously been unrelated, uh, fluky injuries, and hopefully he'll be able to stay healthy. But this is definitely nothing new for him. Um, I don't know. Like, like you, you told me that sort of spending some time with him and, and his teammates sort of changed your perception and I guess perspective on Stamkos. Like, like tell me a little bit about about that and and how that story unfolded. Yeah, I, I was just 
interested or fascinated by um, how into some of this medical stuff he seemed to be. That you know, he's gone through some pretty horrible things. Um, you know, at the time I wrote the story, he was just recovering from the blood clot that kept him out of the playoffs. Um, and this was obviously before the, the the injury he had last year that uh, you know really derailed a fantastic start. Uh, I think people forget just how good he was out of the gate last year. Um, but again, like you said, yeah, he, he kind of runs into this. Uh, this bugaboo, this injury bugaboo he's had for the past couple of years. Good use of bugaboo. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, from talking to his teammates, it's it kind of funny how, you know, everyone has stories about how they, they would be in the training room, you know, getting you know stitched up for this or getting treatment for that. Or, you know, even down to guys who would, you know, had their x-rays done and they were looking at him with a doctor and in walks Steven Stamkos and he wants to look at it too. And he wants to explore and um, it got to the point they, you know, started calling him Dr. Stamkos. You know, here comes Dr. Stamkos to check out the x-ray. Um, but I, I do think that that, uh, that was instructive, at least from, you know, a narrative storytelling perspective that, uh, you know, that's the way he approached it, that, um, he wanted to get as much information as possible that when he was going through his blood clot stuff, he was, you know, Googling things himself. He was reading, uh, research articles. It wasn't just, you know, he's relying on the doctor's information. He really wants to understand, uh, what's going on there, um, you know, he was looking at his MRI and his ultrasounds at his house. He was, uh, you know, again asking questions. He was um, looking stuff up, and uh, it, to me, that in the context of what I was writing, felt very similar to the way that he approached his free agency process. That it was very studious. You know, he was making charts, he was printing stuff out, he was, you know, studying it at home, he was doing his research. Um, you know, he didn't wait to the last minute, and uh, maybe it was a very clumsy way of folding it all together. But uh, I came away from that story with the portrait of a of an extremely detailed, prepared person, at least uh, insofar as his career goes um, and his life goes. Hmm. Yeah, it did feel like uh, his return and sort of the impact that could have on both the Lightning and the rest of the Eastern Conference flew under the radar a little bit this summer. Um, you know. It's weird to say that because Stamkos is obviously such a big name and he's been, you know, covered endlessly in this league, especially surrounding his free agency and whether he'd potentially go back home to the Leafs or whether he'd stay with the Lightning or go somewhere else. But I mean, this line with him and Kucherov and Nemesnikov um, has yeah. been arguably like the best line in the league so far. And definitely just in terms of, you know, the aesthetics and watching them, they're, they're so exciting. And, this lightning team has a lot of depth. They have these young guys like Braden Point as well. And they obviously have still have Platt and Johnson. And all of a sudden they can kind of come at you in waves. And it's not just the one guy you can kind of target and slow down. And that makes them, I think there's a case to be made that they might be the most dangerous threat to the Penguins out East. I mean, the Capitals are obviously in that discussion as well, but Tampa seems like they're poised to sort of prove that last year was just a weird you know, unpredictable blip in the radar and they're going to resume their contender status again this year. I think you and Custance talked in your watchability rankings, or at least you did about how you flipped the channel whenever Washington's on the power play. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is getting there with me for me yeah. with, with Nemestikov, Stamkos and Kucherov. Um, and just some of the triangle stuff that they can do with the puck. And, and that's not to mention the big guy they have up top in Hedman, mm-hmm. um, who can shoulder a load in the playoffs like the best of them. And history would tell you that that's, that's a pretty critical element to making a deep run is to have a guy who can, uh, if need be, go 30 minutes a night. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I mean, the East, too, like the West, I, I think is I found it very hard to, to sit down and, and just even pick um, you know a couple of the playoff teams at the bottom because you're not really sure what's going to happen there. Um, but I, I do think that Tampa Bay is due for a rebound year, that they I mean, they have an experienced core still that's there. Um, like you said, they have some of the young talent like Pilat and Johnson, and that's that's rounded out the scoring a little bit. And um, 
if they can get a healthy season out of Stamkos, I think they're as good as anyone. I mean, Kucherov is, what would you put him, top 10 player in the league now, for sure? I think there's a case to be made for top five, honestly. Top five, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to <laughs> get too crazy. Specific, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think that's, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to argument to make um i think dan rosen had a pretty cool story recently um about how stamkos kind of feels the same way about kucherov that he did with san louis Mm. um and the way they play together and and what was interesting for me in that story was that you know kucherov was would watch stamkos in san louis and think to himself yeah i can do that same stuff if i ever got a chance to play with them and um now we're seeing the fruits of that and it's it's pretty darn fun yeah i've been enjoying it so far um okay one one final thing here um you wrote about uh off-season training routines and Joe Quinn and and some of the stuff uh, some of these young stars are doing these days to to improve during the summer and get better. Um, I I found that fascinating just in terms of the practical application of it because you know the league has been shifting so much towards uh, being a younger man's game and we see that you know once we thought that. Uh, an individual's prime might be sort of closer to 30 years old. Now we know that it's probably more like mid twenties and that 24 to 26 year old range. And I don't think that's necessarily going to change, but what I am fascinated about is as we get to learn more in the sports science uh, field and, you know, players take better care of their bodies with nutrition and training and recovery. I wonder if we're going to start seeing, you know, players longevity extended a lot more than it was in the past. Um, I don't know. Did you come away from that with that impression or, or what were your takeaways? No, that's something I hadn't thought about, but that's an interesting point. Um, well, especially as we're seeing, you know, kind of the middle class get squeezed out, right. Yep. Where, uh, you know, guys like Daniel Winnick have to take tryout agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I'm curious what, what might happen as this current generation of, of, you know, young, fast, skilled guys gets older, whether, uh, you know, the investment that they're putting in, in their bodies and some of the, you know, just doing stuff like Pilates, and, you know, as opposed to the traditional powerlifting that you would think of, of an off-season regimen, whether that's going to inform the durability they have. Um, as far as the the training stuff, I mean, some of it, it, it was hard to tell how much has been around and we're not seeing or we didn't see because, like, Instagram didn't exist. Um but, you know, a lot of this, I took notice of it because it seemed like every other week, you know, a new video of Connor doing something crazy or like Mitch Marner jumping off a springboard or <laughs> um, like Charlie Coyle using a rebound board and, and doing some stuff between his legs on synthetic ice. Like these kind of creative ways of, of training. It's not just the like stick handling around pylons or uh, cones or stuff like that. It's, it's you know, really practical application. Um of doing stuff on the fly, of, of learning to stick handle at uncomfortable angles, at, uh, you know, reacting to pressure coming in certain places. Um, I mean, you, uh, I do think that a lot of it stems from Connor and the work that he did with Joe Quinn. Um, he's known this guy since he was 11, and and you look at, I mean, he's the best, right? And you want to emulate the best. He's the best at, at uh, I think, putting pucks in, in guys' space and putting them in areas and skating around guys and, uh, you know, always doing stuff at full speed. Um to the point that it makes everyone else look silly. So I think people see that and they, they go, well, I want to try to do that too. I want to do, I want to emulate his methods. I want to learn you know, how Connor got to be as good as he is on the fly like that. Um, and if you go and look at these videos, like, or you talk to these guys, they stink at it at the beginning. Um, it's very hard to go from, you know, just your traditional, like I said, you know, stick handling around cones and doing around uh, objects like that, as opposed to, you know, having to do like a pre-planned route and having to like hop over uh, little hurdles and, you know, stick handle underneath space so small that only the puck can f- fit on his horizontal edge. You can't, you have to have full control in order for it to get through. Um, 
I, I think that's kind of the the new wave is this this new specialization and, and able to tailor it to the way the game has evolved as far as speed and skill goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I think this hasn't been lost on anyone, right? Like both on an individual and a team level, um, people are investing a lot more money now in trying to uh, figure out the best, uh, you know, regimens for preparing the body and making sure that guys are able to compete at the highest level for as long as possible. I forgot who wrote the story or what publication it was on, but I highly recommend checking out um, someone a, a year or two ago wrote up how LeBron James spends like, two million dollars a year or something on various things to basically keep his body in in the best Mm. shape possible and obviously like listen he's first of all like an anomaly in terms of uh just what a freak athlete he is but also uh in terms of the money he can actually invest in it himself and i'm not saying everyone's gonna be able to do that but there is a certain element to this sort of behind the scenes preparation that goes into it that as fans we might not necessarily think of you just you know you kind of go away during the summer and you come back and you just expect guys to get better every year but there's so much minutia and so much going on that you know goes into it beyond just the the things we kind of thought think about on a daily basis yeah or even in the course of the season where you know maybe you're on a back-to-back right and you're in canada and you got to go through customs and you don't get to your airport at home till like 1 30 in the morning and you drive home and you're asleep by three and you got to be at the rink by you know three the next day how do you recover Hmm. Um, how do you flip the body around like that have you heard about the art machine have you have you dug into the cult of that yet i haven't no what, what, tell me about okay it. um it's this it's the device called the art arp accelerated recovery performance um and it's it's run by uh i think this guy out in minnesota um and a lot of the minnesota guys use it so like you know duncan keith and zach parise and tj oshi um and it essentially looks like like a little medical device like you would have at the at the bedside of your hospital bed um, and you, you strap these wires to yourself and electrode currents run through them. And, and there's some program and there's a lot of science behind it. Um, I'd recommend reading Isabel Kershudian's story hmm. from the post last year. Um, but there's a lot of guys out there who swear by this thing and they swear by this is the way that they help their body recover um, is to essentially strap a bunch of wires to yourself and have electrodes pulsing in your veins and uh, into your muscles. And um, I wish I knew more about uh, like physical therapy and, and, uh, neurology and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, but it, it is, again, it's, it's a thing like, not unlike, uh, Connor working with Joe Quinn where, you know, one guy starts it or a couple guys start using it and then word kind of trickles down and, and, you know, it's, it's a copycat league among coaches and it's a copycat league among players too. Yeah. I remember, I mean, obviously these things evolve, but back in, I want to say like around 2010, um, one of the big stories here in Vancouver was how the Canucks were sort of, you know, working with sleep doctors and and trying to to figure out the optimal times to get your sleep in, but also like how long and just, you know, all this stuff that we might not have even, you know, thought about or considered in the past. And now everyone I feel like is probably doing that. And, you know, there's going to be these advancements uh, as time goes on. And I think some of it also you know, comes down to like the league as well, because you mentioned the back to backs there. And I just, I understand why it has to be done sometimes to, you know, fit it in the schedule. And there is a a financial element as well that you want to play as many games as possible. But, you know, we've seen in the NBA um, teams, resting their stars on back-to-backs and that still hasn't really come into the nhl yet because of this sort of uh macho bravado that's in the league and and guys never (laughs) wanted to take nights off and stuff but eventually i feel like uh you know we're gonna reach that point as well where teams wise up to it and start 
you know, doing some some more of that stuff as well. So I'm fascinated to see if it, when and if that actually does ha- come to the league. Yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that that like I don't know what do you, what do you call like body analytics? Mm-hmm. That's as much that's as critical to hockey as as advanced stats. Yep. Um, that being able to diagnose when guys need rest, to tell when they're being overloaded, to tell when they've had bad sleep. Um, I don't know how you would do it, how you get around union laws or how you work that into the CBA. Um, you know, whether it's, but you know, you see a lot of teams already have heart rate monitors. They're doing blood tests at the start of the year to figure out, uh, you know, where, where certain players have nutritional deficiencies. Um, anything to get an edge in, in a sport where you're, you have to go at top speed for a short time relative to, you know, the NBA where, you know, LeBron can play 45 minutes a night or something, but right. Um, yeah, NHL players are going top speed for 20 minutes. How do you figure out how to maximize that time? And how do you figure out how to maximize rest when, you know, in the totality of your day, most of what you're doing is resting. Um, and then you're going super hard for a super short period of time, um, relative to the rest of it. Yeah. Well, that's something that's always fascinated me because we still, um, you know, guys like, this is a whole debate with Ryan Suter for years and it was sort of finding that optimal amount of time for him to be playing in a game because if you're playing close to 30 minutes chances are you're probably not going uh you know you you have to pace yourself a little bit and you're probably not going max effort on every shift and then is that the most optimal way to use a guy and we still don't ultimately know but having some of those bio biomarking indicators would be uh, a huge step for you know nailing down you know what what drives peak performance and sort of finding this perfect perfect kind of threshold and comfort zone for guys to be at absolutely um all right let's uh, i have a few few other questions here for you before we get out of here um hit me ama who's your uh who's your who's your, who's your white whale what's a who's an elusive player that you always wanted to work oh, okay well there we go i, I was gonna I was, I was gonna ask how have you not done a five thousand word uh yarmar yager profile yet but you do it I did a story on florida when he was there a couple of years ago and he and i just spent 20 minutes talking about like chakras and um like east asian religious principles because i, I majored in religion in college yeah. um and specifically in buddhism and um i heard that through his strength coach that he was very much into um just kind of the meditative alignment of of uh your energy centers chakras mm-hmm. um, is the word in in sanskrit religion so um just spent a lot of time talking to him about you know his his philosophy behind that and you know how he views the world and uh, I would need a lot more than 20 minutes in order to figure out, you know, what possesses a guy to play to almost, he's, he's almost 50 years old and to keep coming back like he has and to not only just come back, but to like, I mean, you go back to the rest point, uh, a couple of years ago when Florida makes the playoffs and a big knock on Yager was he seemed to slow down in the playoffs and you wonder, you know, what could a couple of games of rest during the season have done, you know, if they, they pace them out, like some of the NBA teams would do their veterans. Um, but at the same time, good luck telling that guy to, to rest. Um, yes. He's somebody who has the key to like every rink he's been in and uh, somehow finds a way to work out at like midnight. Um, and he's, you know, calling his strength coach out of bed at 2 a.m. and saying like, <laughs> let's go work out. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I think him, he, he would be great. He would be a fascinating one to do for sure. I mean, who have you, who have been your, I remember last time you were on, you were telling me about uh, hanging out with Brent Burns and grilling with him and stuff like that. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. give me some of your other favorite uh, stories you've done in terms of just like the the individual characters and personalities you've got to co- cross paths with in your stories. Yeah, we're gonna have to talk again once the flurry, when, whenever the flurry thing comes out. Mm. Hopefully, he hopefully he gets healthy and so he's the answer to this um, question. Then he he's a answer, okay. yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I have a great appreciation for guys who just 
more willing to spend time because you know it's I'm just a dude, right? Like I come in and I drop in for a couple days and um, maybe they've met me, maybe they haven't. And, you know, you kind of have to forge a relationship pretty quick. Um, so, you know, for instance, like after the Stanley Cup final, like I waited to sit out um, for basically the entire duration of the party that they had afterwards in the locker room in Nashville and, and got him for, you know, 10 minutes on the walk to the bus. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. He, he had the cup with him and he could have, you know, just kind of brushed me off. But, um, that was, that was quite kind of him to, to oblige to an interview and in, under those circumstances. Um, yeah, yeah. Burns, Burns for sure. Um, trying to go back and think of, uh, some of the stuff I did last year. Um, always a treat to chat with Bruce Boudreaux. Mm, um, Bruce. Yeah. I remember when we, uh, when we had the interview, it, it got delayed a, bit, a little bit cause he, he really needed some chocolate. Um, and he was, <laughs> and he was like, he was like going around. Um, and this was, do you remember right after their, uh, like it was when their losing streak happened and, and they weren't doing so hot, um, yep. in Minnesota last year, kind yep. of late in like March. Um, and he has a guy in Hershey who he knows from when he was coaching the Hershey bears there. And he, he still has a home there, um, who just like sends him boxes of chocolate all the time. Uh, cause he knows he loves it. Yep. And the guy stopped sending him chocolate cause he, cause they were losing and he did, he didn't want to like, you know, upset Bruce or anything, <laughs> you know, say like, here's a gift when you're doing poorly. Right. Um, so Bruce was a little, yeah, he, he had to go and find. So I assume that the shipments have, have started up again. Um, but, you know, listening to some of his stories, that guy, that guy could talk forever. I mean, Wayne Gretzky idolized him, for goodness sakes. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty impressive one. Uh, spending a lot of time in Nashville was great. Um, the, the same story that I did with Stamkos, it was like Elliot Friedman's awesome story. It was framed around that, um, that one day in, in July when the world exploded, or the mm-hmm. hockey world exploded at least. Right. Um, so I had a chance to, to spend some time with, uh, with PK right when he had moved in to, um, to Nashville. And again, you know, just hanging out, riding in the car with him as he's, you know, like going to do his physical and going here or there. It's, yeah, uh, you get a nice glimpse into guys' lives outside the rink. Um, and that's, that is a big luxury I have is I have the platform to be able to drop into these situations and, uh, you know, I guess get some access that makes the beat folks hate me, I'm assuming, <laughs> um, or, or be like, why is, why does this guy get to just drop in and do this? Um, but you know, uh, hopefully the, the product justifies it, I suppose. Well, I think it definitely does. And listen, I don't want to, you know, blow smoke here, but I think something the league desperately, uh, is in need of and struggles with is, sort of letting fans know about some of these personalities and really kind of, you know, get just, just advertising the league that way, because there are such interesting uh, characters in this league, but instead it, you know, sometimes it gets portrayed as kind of more of a workmanlike business, business-like thing where uh, the, the team is more important. It's not about one individual, but so it's kind of cool to get a look behind the scenes at some of the, some of the guys that are in the NHL. Yeah, and that's that's the age old issue, I think, right? In terms of visibility, that you know, arguably the biggest American hockey star in history is, you know, he's up in Toronto, but I don't know if the average sports fan, not hockey fan in the U.S., would be able to like pick him out of a lineup. I'm not sure. Um, Emily Kaplan and ESPN wrote about that a little bit today. Hmm. Um, that uh, you know, I mean, you're not, you're not like seeing him in advertisements in America, and right. um, even in Canada, Toronto has that that, you know, rookie media policy was under Lou that, you know, makes it difficult to promote some of these young guys. But, um, I mean, the generation is, is here, right? Like, I mean, we have line A is a fantastic quote. Um, I, I think Austin, there's definitely some personality there. Johnny Goudreau, I've, I've enjoyed every chat I've had with him and I think he's a fantastic story. Um, so even North of the border, I mean, uh, 
the excitement and they all play they're all fun to watch right like how many of those teams at the top of your uh, watchability rankings had young talent on them yeah. and it was you know it was, it was driven by just i'm going to turn on this tv because i don't know if Connor mcdavid is going to start at you know one goal line and outrace everyone to the other end right and no one's going to even sniff him and that's the possibility um of some of these young guys but at the same time it is it is very hard to, to pull some of the personality out of it um I'm, I'm not sure you know how much of that is you know on the team level as far as promotion how much of that is just an institutional thing how much of that is you know necessarily on the league as a whole or, or the culture that just just has existed in hockey for generations and no one wants to break it um but when people do when you know you get a, a sagan or a suban or a burns or um i don't know whoever that it's it makes for good stories uh, it makes for good quotes it makes for good promotion of a sport that i think everyone wants to see do well yeah yeah i think it's a little bit of probably all of the above in terms of what's responsible for it um all right uh i think we i think we did everything we wanted to here oh, wait um what's the vibe like in washington right now with the capitals oh thank goodness you said the capitals mm. um you know i have i admittedly haven't been around them as much as i normally have over the past three years uh, just because i've been traveling more um i i part of me says why not them just because you know pittsburgh's coming off two incredible long runs um they're due at some point, right? Like I, I do think that they may be maybe able to benefit from lower expectations from not being the president's trophy winning team. Um, of course, they're going to have to reconcile some of that depending on who they face in the playoffs, especially if they get matched up again with Pittsburgh in the second round. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the attitude is and it's going to be great. Whatever you do is fine. Just just show up in, in May. Um, and, uh, you know, the Nationals not getting over that home probably didn't help a little bit. Um, and and it's all, it's all just wrapped up in, in the history and kind of the heartbreak that, that fans had to go through here. Um, to that end, I mean, they clearly lost a lot. Um, and you know, I'm not sure whether the, the, the Johansson thing in particular was avoidable. Um, seemed like they, they felt backed into a corner with the Kuznetsov contract, um, and, and the threat that he made to go to the KHL. But, um, I I think you could maybe, you could probably quibble over the eight years for Oshie. Um, but, Probably. No, I I mean, you could, but uh, I think that was probably a necessary thing that they had to do or they felt like they should do. And, and, you know, the back end, like how many players are going to get to the end of that anyway? Yeah. Um, And and once we get to that point, um, you know, Ovechkin and Backstrom are going to be at the end of their deals as well, um, or their deals, I believe, are already going to be expired. So uh, it's going to be an entirely new group. Um, I mean, the window remains open. It's a little bit more shut than when they had some of the guys like Shattenkirk and Schmidt and right. Justin Williams and Marcus Johansson. Um, if Kuznetsov continues to play like he has, uh, I think they've had great chemistry on that, that line with him, Ovechkin and Verana um, and ditto with Baxter, Moshi and, and Burkowski. Um, they're nowhere near as deep in the bottom six as they've been in the past. Um, so they're going to need, you know, they're going to need seasons and especially playoffs from guys like Tom Wilson and Brett Connolly um, people that they're banking on to round it out. Cause I mean, that's, that's, been their issue in the past i think is secondary scoring yep um and you know when push comes to shove that's that is what you need in the playoffs um unless you're just pittsburgh and unless you're pittsburgh last year and you can out opportunistic everyone and rely on 71 and 87 Um, i'm not i'm not necessarily sure if the caps can play that way i don't know if they've demonstrated themselves playing that way being able to play that way um under barry trotz but they're certainly a foundationally solid team that has consistently put up great seasons under him 
over the past couple of years. Um, and there's no reason to suggest that they can't at least be in the hunt again, right? Well, that's the thing. That's all you can really ask for. And like, listen, no one was more critical of the summer they had and, and some of the moves they made. But then you start the season, you start playing the games and you are kind of reminded like, oh yeah, uh, Ovechkin and Backstrom and Kuznetsov are, are very, very good. And as long as you have those guys, you have a fighting chance. And I would just urge people to uh, enjoy the ride and the journey here with Alex Ovechkin because like, whenever it, it, it's amazing to me sometimes the feedback you get when you mention just the lofty heights he's reached in terms of goal scoring and some of the stuff he's doing right now. And then, you know, a common refrain you get is, Oh, wake me up in May when it's the playoffs. And it's like, come on. Like, all right, I understand why people place such an importance on playoff success. And that is ultimately what everyone is playing for. But I think we can also appreciate, uh, this guy that's doing these amazing things right now because it's not going to last forever. And I don't want to be looking back at it nostalgically. I want to kind of enjoy it now while it's still going on. He, he strikes me. It strikes me that he's getting his shot off a little quicker this mm. year. I don't know if you've watched as much caps. Yeah. Um, but it, it strikes me like a couple of those goals he had early, like he was turning around and maybe last year he would have been tried to like tee it up and aim a little wrist shot there and someone gets stick on puck and it gets deflected. Um, but it seems like he's just letting it fly. And like a lot of that is just sheer goal scoring ability. So I agree with you that you know, I've been I'm on the train of, of let's enjoy this generational goal score while we can. This guy who, you know, he, he plays unlike anyone else in the league. He skates like anyone, anyone else in the league. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, while he's here, let's enjoy it. But I, I don't think that's yeah, I don't think that's mutually exclusive to um, you know, talking about their their playoff yes uh, their playoff shortcomings. Well, that's a good point on his shot. That's something I would definitely uh, I'm going to look for more closely and urge everyone to as well because as good of a shot as he has, um, like goalies are getting so good these days that if they know it's coming and they can square up that shot, they're probably going to stop it unless it's just the absolute perfect attempt on your part. And, you know, that's something we hear a lot about guys like uh, Philip Forsberg and Austin Matthews is they're sort of just so unpredictable when they shoot the puck because they shoot it at weird times and from different angles and you kind of can't prepare yourself for for it and expect it as a goalie. And if he has added that little wrinkle to his game, then that's going to be a a potentially even more dangerous uh, thing for him as a goal scorer. So I'm looking forward to seeing if, if that's actually a thing that's going on right now I, I think it's pretty clear that the the regression talk about him was mm. well, maybe maybe a little premature but, yeah, little but i mean but but when you looked at it as year last year um i think some of it was deserved for yeah. sure uh some of it was shooting percentage and, and puck luck um but i think there were there were definitely questions about you know how he could rebound from that especially you know given the uh the morale hit that 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 pittsburgh series <laughs> did to the team and, and that they're clearly still getting over and that they openly talk about um especially at a management level Mm. yeah all right well alex um do you want to plug anything in terms of stuff you're working on or what's coming out other than the uh the flurry and taves stories you've already alluded to like what are you up to these days uh yeah that's 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 it's about, about it, it. Yeah. um yeah uh just you know plugging away yeah, i mentioned them do working on esports thing as well uh, i'm not sure when that's coming out but uh, i would urge everyone to keep listening to the pdo cast and mm. sorry for my ramblings Hey man, it's always fun to chat with you, and I think this is this is your third appearance, which puts you in some uh, pretty elite company. I think there's probably only like a handful of people that have that have been on that often. So that's uh, that's very that's und- very undeserved, but I, I will accept my certificate in the mail. I think everyone enjoys story time with Alex Pruitt, and we will <laughs> uh, we'll make sure to have you back on as the year goes along after you bang out some more of these interesting uh, profiles, and we'll chat then. Always great talking to you, bud. All right. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. 
Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockeypediocast. <laughs>